So what would you, uh, what would you put in your farewell letter? If you knew it was going to be your last, your last letter, what would you write? And we have, uh, have an example of this uh, this morning as we uh, look again to 2 Peter, the words of the apostle to this young church in the first century. And he ends his letter with many of the same themes uh, that he started with. The grace and mercy of God, the, the knowledge of Jesus, the life of godliness, uh, standing upon the truth of the gospel. And so he's stirring the memory of the church just one last time, reminding them that they are waiting for the Lord and they are waiting on the Lord and what that looks like uh, until the day of His uh, return. Then he he ends with just a beautiful song. Um, A song that that the church will never stop singing uh, until uh, that great day um, that we are home with the Lord. Uh, So I guess that's a question for us. Will we be singing this song? Uh, when Jesus uh, returns. So we're going to read these closing verses of Second Peter, beginning of verse 15. 3.15 And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him, as he does in all his letters when he speaks in them of these matters. There are some things in them that are hard to understand which the ignorant and unstable twist to their own destruction as they do the other Scriptures. You therefore, beloved, knowing this beforehand, take care that you are not carried away with the error of lawless people and lose your own stability, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To Him be the glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. So the final recorded words of the Apostle Peter uh, to the church that he really had grown to love so dearly. Let's pray together. Lord, we thank You for these words. These are Your words, Lord, that uh, You transcribed through this Apostle. An Apostle who knew failure, uh, who knew You personally. An Apostle who was restored by You and could proclaim the truth of the Gospel faithfully. Lord, we thank You for this Word. and pray that You would use it now to, to build us up in the faith. Uh, that we too would, uh, would stand faithfully upon the rock. Uh, stable uh, in You, the Lord Jesus. And, uh, so we thank You, O Christ, uh, the living Word. Um, make us attentive now, we pray. In Christ's name, Amen. Thinking of uh, Henry Morrison and his wife, Maybe you've heard of Henry Morrison, maybe you haven't, but he served as a missionary in Africa faithfully for many, many decades, almost 40 years. Uh, He served in Africa, and it was time for him and his wife to return to the States, and and they were on this this ship that was going to dock in New York City, and as the ship got closer and closer to the dock, they could see from the deck that a crowd was beginning to form um, there at, at the dock. And as, as they got closer, there, there were banners and people started to wave. And Henry, Henry was excited about this and he turned to his wife and he said, they haven't forgotten about us um, after all these years. Um, and as they got closer, they tied off the boat on the dock and there was a band that started to play. They're thinking, this is something else. But what they didn't realize was that President Teddy Roosevelt was also on that ship. Uh, he was returning from a hunting trip in Africa. And so the band, the banners, the wave, none of it was for them. 
Uh, it was all for uh, the president. And in fact, there was, there was not one person there to greet them uh, once they returned. And they got on the taxi and went to uh, you know, the, the hotel that the mission board had reserved for them. Um, and that bothered Henry. Uh, it really bothered him for, for some time as he thought through that. You know, all of the, all of the labors, um, all of the time spent sharing the gospel and investing in the lives of, of so many others in Africa. And he, as, as he stewed over that for a little while, Henry thought about what the Lord might actually tell him. Um, and after he thought about that for a moment, it eased his mind, it comforted him, because he heard the Lord telling him, Henry, you are not home yet. Um, you're not home yet. There is still a work to be done. Um, the, the, the learning, the growing, walking with the Lord. Um, there's still more of that to be done until you are home. And that, that's a message that the Apostle Peter would wholeheartedly agree with. While we wait on the Lord, there is still growing and learning to be done. We're not home yet. Um, all of that... All of that celebration, that's still coming. And yet I'm thinking it's not the waving of arms, it's not the crowds or reporters that the church is looking forward to. We're, we're looking for the open arms of our Savior. Um, so Peter leaves a final reminder to the church to, to stay the course, keep growing until that faith is made sight. In these closing words, he reminds them of God's patience, the solidarity that he shares with uh, Paul as a fellow apostle, uh, the stability that he desires uh, for all members of the church, and then leaves them with this song to the Savior. So there's your, there's your points. A real solidarity in Christ, a stability in Christ, and a song to Christ in these final verses. And so he, he re-emphasizes the truth of verse 9 here. God, God is not slow in keeping His promise, he is patient. Patient not like you and I are patient. Like really patient with people. People who turn, who turn from Him and those who have, have yet to turn to Him. He is patient. And so what, what always seems like a delay in the Lord's coming, and I, I know you've prayed this, because I have. I know you've thought this with me. How long, O oh Lord? You've cried out for that. Um, but this delay, this is on God's sovereign calendar. And it's an opportunity for salvation. Um, the scoffers that Peter mentions, these false fishermen in the church, are living as if Jesus is not returning. As if none of this is true. You know, he hasn't returned yet, so you know, he's not coming back. When if he does, well then you know, I'm not so bad as that person or that person and things will be okay. They turn the patience of God into a license to sin. But are we not tempted in this way? Tempted to do the same? If we expect tomorrow to look an awful lot like today, then are we not allured to step away from you know, the path of obedience? Repentant faith. It can be so easy to let our guard down which the Apostle Paul is going to 
the Apostle Peter is going to, to call to mind again before he puts his pen down here. Um, but God is patient. We are waiting on Him, but He's also waiting on us. The Spirit of Christ is working in our waiting. That's something we can rejoice in. That's something we should be thankful for as a church. This, this purifying, sanctifying work of the Lord, that the process itself may be very unpleasant. We don't look forward to that sometimes. But it is the good work of the Lord in us and through us. So let, let's be those who invite this good work of the Spirit and not you know, stiff arm it because we think we know better. Um, uh, one, one of the songs, uh, it's called Sovereign. It's a title Michael W. Smith released a few years ago. He says, You are working in our waiting. You're sanctifying us. When beyond our understanding, you're teaching us to trust. You're with us in the fire and the flood. You're faithful forever. Perfect in love. You are sovereign over us. God is working in our waiting. And so God's patience for today, still His work in us, through us, but also means something else. It means it's not too late. Before His coming, it is never too late to repent and submit to Christ as the Savior and Lord of every part of your life. Ken Sandy has been taking us through this relational wisdom material in Sunday school. He shares these moments at his father's bedside. Um, just hours before his father died, he acknowledged his great need for the Savior. Um, he cried out to Jesus. That's something that Ken had been praying for for some time. And so, you know, with that moment, just forever etched in his mind and experience. Think of the thief on the cross hanging next to Jesus. You know, by the mercy of God, he comes to the realization that Jesus isn't like him, fully deserving of, of punishment, and that he needs the company of Jesus to cross the threshold he's about to cross. Jesus, remember me when you come in to your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Beloved, keep, keep praying for those that you know and love. It is not too late for repentance and trust in Christ. And maybe that's a message you need to hear this morning. You've been places and you've done things that you're ashamed of. Or you've had things done to you that make you feel used. Maybe disgusted. Even worthless. And that can sear your conscience. It can embitter your heart. Making it really hard to trust the promises of God. Really hard to turn to Him for forgiveness or to seek help in forgiving others. But it's not too late. The arms of Jesus have been spread wide. They've been pierced for you. And the arms of the Father are wide open to receive you, to comfort you with His peace. So as believers in Christ, we, we wait together. There's a solidarity in our waiting and the peace that we experience in union with Jesus. And Peter says, you know, you're not hearing this for the first time. Uh, as a church. You know, I'm only sharing what our brother Paul 
has written to you. Uh, now, this is absolutely marvelous because you know, Peter's saying there's a solidarity between him and this beloved brother, a brother whom he didn't always agree with. We go back to Galatians 2 to, to see that instance between Paul and Peter where Paul had to, had to rebuke Peter for not walking in, in accord with the gospel. Think of what could have happened. What we might see happen today when something like that. Okay, well, Paul, we're obviously in disagreement here. You go that way, I'll go this way. New denomination. We'll have fraternal relations or something like that. Um, but no, he calls, he calls Paul his beloved brother and affirms what it is he's written. So they're on the same page. They have the same gospel message. And so Peter's obviously familiar with some of the material that Paul has written. We don't know which letters, how many letters. The church would also be familiar with them. But he's deliberate in reminding the church of the connection, the solidarity that they have as apostles. Um, it's, Paul may have been dead by this point. And so Peter, Peter could be picking up the pen, kind of picking up for Paul and writing to the churches that, uh, that Paul also loved. And remember, Paul was a preacher to who? He's a preacher to the Gentiles. Where Peter focused his time and energy is a preacher to, well, to the Jews, the circumcised. But now these words of Peter going to, to the churches Paul loved. So there, there's a solidarity. Jew and Gentile, they have the same message. Um, even when that message can be really hard to understand. Have you struggled in understanding your Bible reading sometimes? Have you struggled in understanding just what the Apostle Paul meant here or there? Some of you are nodding your heads. Well, that's good because you're in good company. Join the club. Even the fellow apostles were scratching their head over some of the things that Paul wrote. Um, some, some of these things are challenging. They're, they're ambiguous. I'll just give you one example. All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. So there's, there's some territory to navigate with words like that. We hear phrases like this all the time. Things that we know are, we sense are true, but they take some thought to actually understand them as true. Or they just we make our heads scratch. I was thinking of a phrase like, you know, it is what it is. Uh-huh. It is. <laughs> so? Um, you are what you eat. Really? What, what do you mean by that? Um, I read this one too this last week. Sometimes I keep my feelings to myself because it's hard for someone else to understand. Okay. But if they're to yourself, how can they understand? Anyway. So you have to think about it a little bit, right? Um, we have an example uh, also with Paul in 1 Corinthians 5 where he seems to be clarifying something that the church you know, maybe didn't understand about association with others. Uh, maybe in a, in a letter that we don't have. Uh, 1, 1 Corinthians 5, 9 through 11. But Peter, Peter seems to be mentioning this because the scoffers, or the language here of the ignorant or unstable, they, they're taking what they may not understand of Paul's writing and, and twisting it to justify their lifestyle. Twisting it to justify this immorality, which they are prone to do with all the other Scriptures. What an important word in verse 16. Just let that sink in for a moment. 
Peter has just put Paul's letters that the church is familiar with in the same bucket as the Old Testament Scriptures. They carry that same weight, that much authority already in these churches in the first century. So Peter's affirming that that Paul, even with, with some things that are hard to understand, has received the mystery of Christ. Ephesians chapter 3. That he has left the inspired Word of God with the church. I mean, that's really important for the church through the centuries to hear. That these men were, were fellow workers. They shared the same message of God's patience with sinners. Do you presume on the riches of His kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? Well, who wrote that? That's the words of Paul, but could certainly fit with what we have read here in 2 Peter in this closing chapter. So there's a solidarity to the, to the witness, the word of, of these apostles. And so the church needs to remember this, to recognize what the, the ignorant and unstable are doing with the Scriptures so that they can guard against it. Not go down that same path. Knowing this, take care that you're not carried away with the error of lawless people and, and lose your own stability. So here Peter gives two final commands. Uh, one in verse 17, the other in the beginning of verse 18. Take care, guard against the bad ideas and the lifestyle of the lawless. You know this danger in advance. On the side of our driveway, we have, well, we have a whole bunch of rocks on one side that go from the driveway down into the grass. And there is a trail, well, stepping stones that you can take from, from the garage down into the grass. But sometimes I don't like to, to take the trail. I just want to get into the grass. And so I'll, I'll scramble down the rocks, and it's right about that point that I slip. And I've almost been on my face a few times going down those rocks. Um, I get careless, even though I know the danger in advance. Um, and we, we guard against potential dangers when we heed the warnings. That is when we're in the safest place. And if you're going to go um, climbing a mountain, if you're going to go on an extended hike here in Arkansas, and you, you prepare for that, you've got your, your bug spray, your layers, your... you know. If you've got a first aid kit along with you, what does that do for your confidence level going into that hike or whatever activity it may be? You're more confident. You're likely to enjoy yourself more, to be more relaxed because of that preparation. You might even say that you have a greater freedom because you've guarded against the danger. You know, sometimes, sometimes we question our faith. We question what God is doing, where He is leading us. Does He really care? Does He really love me? Understand what I'm, I'm going through? Is He here in the midst of this? The assurance of God's love, the assurance of His care becomes more of a reality as we stay on guard and heed the warnings of His Word. I mean, even knowing what God's heart is in the matter that we're facing. You know, in a time of pandemic, in a time of, of political hostility and uncertainty with so many things, I mean, it can be easy for us to get, to get carried away, literally swept away by the bad ideas and the false teaching. 
But we have the warnings, the Old Testament, the, the teaching of the apostles, the living Word Himself. So let's listen carefully. Let's listen carefully to the parable of Jesus in Matthew chapter 7, where we build our house upon the rock of the Gospel. The forgiveness, the hope that is found in Jesus is the only thing that will stand when everything else is swept away. Now the Lord keeps His own. I don't want us to forget that. While we're waiting on Him, He's waiting on us. Those He has saved by His sovereign grace will not ultimately be swept away. But that doesn't relieve us from guarding our hearts. Living with diligence. There's a stability in Christ when we guard against the danger. But then He goes on also as we grow in the knowledge of Jesus. That's that final command. Stability, future glory with King Jesus is ensured by our growing. Following what Peter's already laid out for the church in that first chapter in 3-11. through We grow in grace, meaning we will experience God's grace in greater measure as we grow in our knowledge of Christ. And that, that, that word knowledge, theme word for Peter. Another point of solidarity that he has with Paul, who desired the knowledge of Christ above all else. You can look at Philippians 3. And this knowledge isn't just, we've been here before, this knowledge isn't just learning more about Jesus. You know, imprinting the facts of that flannel graph story in your mind. For those of you who remember what a flannel graph is, if you're under 30, you may need to ask someone. Um, that this knowledge is to be found in Jesus. To be found united to Him in His death and His resurrection. Something I hope that we can dig into some more through J.I. Packer's book, Knowing God in our future Sunday school class. But he, he thought deeply about this. And he summarizes early on that a knowledge of God is, is listening and submitting to His Word. It's learning, leaning into His his character, accepting His invitation, doing what He commands, and this knowledge of God is recognizing and rejoicing in the love that He has shown. That's the knowledge we need. The stability in faith comes from growing in grace and in this knowledge of God. Which, which is something, my friends, that is not optional for us. Or when we think we can make some, some time for it. We are growing in grace, growing in Jesus, or we're being carried away. Sometimes very swiftly, sometimes you know, slowly by lawlessness. So let, let's just ask a very practical question. How do we do this? What, is no, what does a no kidding look like to grow in grace? Well, it looks a lot like what we're doing right now on a Sunday morning in gathering for worship. Worshiping God, engaging in this covenant conversation with our Lord and King. Being renewed by the Gospel. In worship, we're being firmly planted on that rock that is Christ. You know, before the waves start crashing later today or in this week, threatening to sweep us away. So gathering with God's people for worship should be one of the highest priorities of your life. Say, well, Brad, you're just saying that because you're the pastor and you want everybody to be in church anyway. No, I'm saying that because I want you to live and not die. 
spiritually and, and otherwise. Um, no Lone Ranger Christians, no, no body part survives without the rest of the body. So you need for your very survival um, to be with God's people in worship. And I know there are some who will, who will listen to this, who will long to be here with us now, to be worshiping with the saints. I want you to know that we love you, we care for you, and we look forward to that day uh, when we can be together uh, once again. But we grow in grace through private worship, through the study of God's Word. What does your rhythm of Bible reading look like during the week? Now, who are your conversation partners in the study of God's Word? We grow through our witness, through serving together. Maybe you've heard that phrase, you know, that the couple that prays together stays together. You know, that'd be a beautiful uh, truth. I think it's just as true for couples, families, groups that serve together stay together. Shared experience of serving, giving ourselves for the sake of Jesus. I mean, that binds the church together like few other things can. How are we doing this? Do you have ideas? willing to follow through with those ideas in the life of the church. Experiencing God's grace in greater measure. Uh, Ken Sandy, again, he shared another example. Um, in fact, we just heard this today. When he, was, he stepped out of his comfort zone to engage uh, a barista in, in the airport. And as he walked away, he encouraged her with her work, what she was doing, and... and uh, as he walked away, she was, she was beaming, huge smile. She had just been, just been encouraged. And Ken himself was really, really encouraged. He found himself smiling as he walked away uh, by, by this exchange. And it was an illustration of Proverbs 11.25. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and one who waters will himself be watered. We grow, we experience a greater measure of God's grace as we extend that grace to others, put into practice the love that God has for us. So solidarity, stability in Christ. Uh, and Peter signs off by leaving us with this sweet song uh, to our Savior. It's really a doxology, a word of glory addressed to Christ. I mean, what a great way to go out for the Apostle. He's nearing the end of his life. He's at the end of this letter. He's going out with a song. Chief end of man to glorify God. Enjoy Him forever. That's the goal while we wait until the day of eternity. Which is Peter's way of saying, this glory continues when Jesus returns and lasts forever. The salvation of all people. Your salvation. Mine. Our ability to wait and persevere to the very end of our mortal lives, when Jesus returns, um, that's all His work in us. Our salvation is God's work from beginning to end. As one commentator, he put it, the one who does the work deserves the glory. All glory and honor be to Christ, the righteous one, the source of all grace and truth. Eternal life is found in Him. And so Peter passes along this song of glory to the church. He passes it to us. He's going out singing of Christ's glory. That's what we get to do as we journey to this place of never-ending day with our Savior. So on that day when the ship entered into 
uh, New York Harbor, Henry Morrison was comforted by the fact that he was not home yet. Waving of the crowds, blasting of the trumpet, the well done, good and faithful servant, that was still ahead for him. And friends, it's still ahead for us. We're not there yet. But we're on our way. We are pilgrims. Pilgrims on our way to the celestial city. And all the while we're singing, all glory be to Christ. All glory be to Christ. His rule and reign will ever sing, all glory be to Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, it is our song. We pray all glory be to You, to Christ our King. All glory be to You. You have redeemed us by Your shed blood. Living a life we could not live. Dying the death that we deserve and taking Your life up again that we too might have life now and forever. Lord, as You comfort us and assure us with this Gospel, You continue to feed us with more of Yourself. We thank You for the nourishment of this Word and the nourishment of this table in which we partake even now. O come, Lord Jesus, that our faith would be made sight and that this meal that we eat would be fulfilled, find its completion in that great wedding feast of the Lamb. Come, Lord Jesus, we pray in Your name. Amen.